welcome to Once Upon a Terror. I'm your host, Adelina Hill, and welcome back. I was absent last week because I had to write an essay for college, and I released an announcement on my Instagram page, but if you did not see that, that's why I was gone. Um, I have a very short one-story episode for you this evening because I am still very busy, and I've been overloaded with work um, at school and as well as my, my job at school. So I hope you enjoy this short ghost story, Once Upon a Time. tale is called The Ghost of Dr. Harris by Nathaniel Hawthorne. I am afraid this ghost story will be a very faded aspect which transferred to paper. Whatever effect it had on you, or whatever charm it retains in your memory, is perhaps to be attributed to the favorable circumstances under which it was originally told. We were sitting, I remember, late in the evening in your drawing room, where the lights of the chandelier were so muffled as to produce a delicious obscurity through which the fire diffused a dim red glow. In this rich twilight, the feeling of the party had been properly attuned by some tales of English superstition, and the lady of Smithhill Hall had just been describing the bloody footstep which marked the threshold of her old mansion. When your Yankee guest, zealous for the honor of his country and desirous of proving that he had dead compatriots, have the same ghostly privileges as the other dead people, if they think it's worthwhile to use them, began a story of something wonderful that long ago happened to himself. Possibly in the verbal narrative, he may have assumed a little more license than would be allowed in a written record. For the sake of the artistic effect, he may have then thrown in here and there a few slight circumstances which he will not think it proper to retain and which he will now put forth as a sober statement of a veritable fact. A good many years ago, it must have been as many as fifteen, perhaps more, and while I was still a bachelor, I resided at Boston in the United States. In that city, there is a large and long-established library, styled the Anthem, connected with which is a reading room, well supplied with foreign and American periodicals and newspapers. A splendid edifice has since been erected by the proprietors of the institution, but at the period I speak of, It was contained within a large old mansion, formerly the town residence of an eminent citizen of Boston. The reading room, a spacious hall with a group of lacoon at one end and Belvedere Apollo at the other, was frequented by not only a few elderly merchants retired from business, by clergymen and lawyers, and by such literary men as we had amongst us. These good people were mostly old, leisurely, and solemn, and used to nod and doze for hours together with the newspapers before them, ever and anon recovering themselves as far as to read a word or two of the politics of the day, sitting 
as as it were, on the boundary of the land of dreams, and having little to do with the world, except with the newspapers which they were so tenaciously grasped. One of these worthies, who I occasionally saw there, was Reverend Dr. Harris, a Unitarian clergyman of considerable rapture and eminence. He was very far advanced in life, not less than eighty years old, and probably more, and he resided, I think, at Dorchester, a suburban village in an immediate vicinity of Boston. I have never been personally acquainted with this good old clergyman, but he had, I had heard of him all my life as a noteworthy man, so that when he was first pointed out to me, I looked at him with a certain specialty of attention, and always subsequently eyed him with a degree of interest whenever I happened to see him at the, at the inn or elsewhere. He was a small, withered, infirm, but brisk old gentleman with snow-white hair, a somewhat stooping figure, but yet a remarkable electricity of movement. I remember it was the street that I first noticed him. The doctor was plodding along with the staff, but turned smartly about on being addressed by the gentleman who was with me, and responded with a good deal of vivacity. Who is he? I inquired as soon as he passed. The Reverend Dr. Harris of Dorchester, replied my companion, and from that time I often saw him and never forgot his aspect, his especial haunt with the Entheum. There I used to see him daily, and almost always watched him with a newspaper the Boston Post, which was the leading journal of the Democratic Party in the northern states. As old Dr. Harris had been a noted Democrat during his more active life, it was a very natural thing that he should still like to read the Boston Post. There his reverend figure was accustomed to sit day after day in the same self-chair by the fireside, and by degrees seeing him there so constantly, I began to look towards him as I entered the reading room, and felt a kind of acquaintance, at least on my part, was established. Not that I had any reason, as long as this vulnerable person remained in body, to suppose that he ever noticed me, but by some subtle connection, that small white-haired, infirm yet vivacious figure of an old clergyman became associated with my idea and recollection of this place. One day especially, about noon, as it was generally his hour, I am perfectly certain that I had seen this figure of old Dr. Harris, and taken my customary note of him, although I remember nothing in his appearance at any different from what I had seen on in many previous occasions. But then, that very evening, a friend said to me, Did you hear that old Dr. Harris is dead? No, said I very quietly, and it cannot be true, for I saw him at the Anthem today. You must be mistaken, rejoined my friend. He is certainly dead, and confirmed the fact with such special circumstances that I could no longer doubt it. My friend has often since assured me that I seemed much startled at the intelligence, but, as well as I can recollect, I believe that I was very little disturbed, if at all, but set down the apparition as a mistake of my own, or perhaps the interposition of a familiar ID, into a place and amid the circumstances with which I had been accustomed to associate it. The next day I ascended the steps of the Anthem. I remember thinking with myself, well... I never shall see old Dr. Harris again. With this thought in mind, as I opened the door of the reading room, I glanced towards the spot and chair where Dr. Harris usually sat, and there, to my astonishment, sat the gray and firm figure of the deceased doctor, reading the newspaper as was his wont. His own death must have been recorded that very morning in that very newspaper. I have no recollection of being greatly discomposed at the moment, or indeed that I felt any extraordinary emotion whatsoever. Probably if ghosts were in the habit of coming among us, they would coincide with the ordinary train of affairs and melt into them so familiarly that we should not be shocked at their presence. 
At all events, so it was this instance. I looked through the newspapers as usual and turned over the periodicals, taking as much interest in their contents as at other times. Once or twice, no doubt, I may have lifted my eyes from the page to look at the venerable doctor, who ought to have then been lying in his coffin dressed out from the grave, but who felt such interest in the Boston Post as to come back from the other world to read it in the morning after his death. One might have supposed that he would have cared more about the novelties of the sphere to which he had just been introduced than about the politics he had left behind him. The apparition took no notice of me, nor behaved otherwise in any respect on any previous day. Nobody but myself seemed to notice him, and yet this old gentleman round about the fire began beside his chair were his lifelong acquaintances, who were perhaps thinking of his death, and who in a day or two would deem it a proper courtesy to attend his funeral. I have forgotten how the ghost of Dr. Harris took its departure from the Anthem. On this occasion, or in fact whether the ghost or I went first, this equanimity and almost indifference on my part, the careless way in which I glanced at so singularly a mystery and left it aside, is what now surprises me as much as anything else in the affair. From that time, for a long time thereafter, for weeks at last, and I know not but for months, I used to see the figure of Dr. Harris quite as frequently as before his death. It grew to be so common that at length I regarded the venerable defunct no more than any other of the old forgies who basked before the fire and dozed over the newspapers. It was but a ghost, nothing but thin air, not tangible nor appreciable, nor demanding attention from a man of flesh and blood. I cannot re recollect any cold shudderings, any awe, any repugnance, any emotion whatsoever such as would be suitable and decorous on beholding a visitant from the spiritual world. It is very strange, but such is the truth. It appears excessively odd to me now that I did not adopt such means, as I readily might be asserting. I might have rushed against him, have jostled his chair, or trodden accidentally on his poor old toes. I might have snatched the Boston Post, unless that were an apparition too, out of his shadowy hands. I might have tested him in a hundred ways, but I did not of the kind. Perhaps I was loath to destroy the illusions and to rob myself of so good a ghost story, which might probably have been explained in some very commonplace way. Perhaps, after all, I had a secret dread of the old phenomenon and therefore kept within my limits, with an instinctive caution which I mistook for indifference. Be this as it may, here is the fact. I saw the figure day after day for a considerable space of time and took no pains to assertion whether it was a ghost or no, I never to my knowledge saw him come into the reading room or depart from it. There sat Dr. Harris in his customary chair, and I can say little else about him. After a certain period, I really know not how long, I begin to notice or to fancy a peculiar regard in the old gentleman's aspect towards myself. I sometimes found him gazing at me, and unless I deceived myself, there was a sort of expectancy in his face. His spectacles, I think, were showed, shoved up so that his bleared eyes might meet my own. Had he been living a living man, I should have flattered myself that good Dr. Harris was, for some reason or other, interested in me and desirous of a personal acquaintance. Being a ghost and amenable to ghostly laws, it was natural to conclude that he was waiting to be spoken to before delivering whatever message he wished to impart. But if so, the ghost had shown the badge judgment com common among the spiritual brotherhood, both as regard as the place of interview and the person who had elected as the recipient of his communications. In the reading room of the Anthem, conversation is strictly forbidden. 
and I could not have addressed the apparition without drawing the instant notice and indignant frowns of the slumberous old gentleman around me. I myself, too, at that time, was as shy as any ghost, and followed the ghost rule never to speak first. And what an absurd figure should I have made, solemnly and awfully addressing what must have appeared in the eyes of all the rest of the company. An empty chair! Besides, I have never been introduced to Dr. Harris, dead or alive, and I am not aware that social regulations are to be abrogated by accidental fact of one of the parties having crossed the imperceptible line which separates the other parties from the spiritual world. If ghosts throw off all conventionalism among themselves, it does not therefore follow that it can be safely dispensed by those who are still hampered with flesh and blood. For such reasons as these, and reflections, moreover, that the deceased doctor might burden me with some disagreeable task, with which I have no business nor wish to be concerned, I stubbornly resolved to have nothing to say to him. To this determination I adhered, and not a syllable ever passed between the ghost of Dr. Harris and myself. To the best of my recollection, I never observed the old gentleman either enter the reading room or depart from it, or move from his chair or lay down the newspaper or exchange a look with any person in the company unless it were myself. He was not by any means invariable in his place. In the evening, for instance, though often at reading room myself, I never saw him. It was at the brightest noontide that I used to behold him, sitting within the most comfortable focus of the glowing fire, as real and lifelike as an object, except that he was so very old and of ashen complexion, as any other in the room. After a long while of the strange intercourse, if such it be called, I remember once at least, I know, but not often, a sad, wistful, disp disappointed gaze, which the ghost fixed upon me from beneath his spectacles, a melancholy look of helplessness, which if my heart had not been as hard as paving stone, I could hardly have withstood. But I did withstand it, and I think it saw him no more after the last appealing look, which still dwells in my memory as perfectly as while my own eyes were encountering the dim, bleared eyes of the ghost. And whenever I recall this strange passage of my life, I see the small, old, weathered figure of Dr. Harris, sitting in his accustomed chair, the Boston Post in his hand, his spectacles shoved upwards and gazing at me with, when I closed the door of the reading room, with that wistful, appealing, hopeless, hopeless. Look, it is too late now. His grave has been grass grown that many, many a year, and I hope he has found the rest in it without any aid from me. I've only to add that this was not until long after I had ceased to encounter the ghost that I became aware how very odd and strange the whole affair had been. And even now, I am made sensible of its strangeness chiefly by the wonder and incredulity of those whom I tell the story. Thanks for listening. I'm sorry that this episode couldn't be longer. I'm just extremely busy this week and haven't had time to sit down and add sound effects and record. Uh, school tends to get busy at the end of the year because we're trying to wrap everything up and get grades in. Um, I won't be out of school for like another month or so. But there has been a big change in my life, a very, very good change. But I uh, just need to focus on school some more. Um, so thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Good night.